This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to The Church Boys Freefall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys, and I have my old friend here, Rick Lawrence, on the line. And I say that because we actually had Rick on the show last year, back in October, I believe. So welcome back, Rick. Thanks, Billy. I'm really great to have another conversation with you. Well, you've, you're constantly churning out amazing books and amazing content. And the last time we talked, we talked about the Jesus-Centered Bible, uh, which... Um, has just been, I think it's such a fascinating project. But now you have a book, The Jesus-Centered Life. Um, and I want to talk with you a little bit about that. Let's just start there. What what was it that led you into writing that book after putting the Bible together? Well, that's kind of a crazy story because the Jesus-Centered Bible, uh, shortly after uh, we, t- we talked, that Bible became the number one selling study Bible in the world. Um, and it's been there uh, ever since, and I, I'm sure it's all because of you, Billy. But <laughs> it's also because the, there's something about reading the Bible in a way that uh, no matter where you're reading, it redirects you to the real underlying narrative of the whole Bible, which is Jesus. And so the, the Bible got a lot of attention, um, but uh, I've been kind of uh, headed in this direction for more than a decade. I had... Uh, something happened in my life, kind of a, one of those tipping point moments in my life where I, when I, I'd grown up in the church, I'm a leader in a Christian organization. Um, I had uh, done all the things and lived the kind of life you'd expect from somebody who, who's a leader in a Christian organization, but I had a growing sense of emptiness inside. And I was asked to speak at a large conference at Willow Creek, and I was asked to do something in a pre-conference setting and do something a bit experimental that I hadn't done before. So I led a bunch of youth pastors through an experience that I called at the time the Jesus-Centered Youth Ministry. And it was a result of something that was changing in me, um, and I wanted to experiment with a way of doing ministry that uh, had everything revolve very specifically about get, about around getting uh, more intimate with Jesus. So at the end of that three-hour time, it was one of the most incredible, not training experiences of my life, but worship experiences of my life. And I had these, uh, you know, paid full-time youth pastors lining up to talk to me afterwards. And all of them wanted to say something like the same thing, which was, I don't think I ever knew Jesus before. And I said, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. So it kicked off something in me, even at that conference uh, that night, when I had popped into all these different uh, workshops and training sessions that were, you know, led by friends of mine. I mean, they're all really great speakers, but I found myself just feeling really, really empty at the end of that night, and I was sitting there in Willow Creek's huge atrium in this overstuffed chair, um, and I couldn't understand why I was so sad and empty. So I just, in the middle of it, I was I was crying, literally, and you and I can get lost in a, you know, a, a crowd of thousands of people, and 
So I just cried out to Jesus. I said, what is going on in my soul? And it was one of those moments when I heard his voice clearly, and he said back to me, you're bored by everything but me now, Rick. And it's like the sun came out <laughs> internally. I, I just had this huge weight lifted off my shoulders, and I realized what had happened to me, that that I had crossed some kind of event horizon, and and now I was really captured and fascinated and interested only in pursuing Jesus and ways of helping people become more intimate with him. So from that moment to now, um, even though I used to speak about a lot of different things, this is the only thing I speak and write about uh, from one direction or another. And um, so I wrote a book called Jesus Centered Youth Ministry about 10 years ago, and then after the Bible came out, we had decided to morph that into a, uh, an approach uh, with this book that wasn't just for ministry people, it's for anybody. So it's called The Jesus-Centered Life, and it really is two things. It's a chronicle of what a Jesus-centered life looks like and why you might want to live it. Um, so part of it is just um, coming to know Jesus in a way you've never known before. And then at the back half of the book is just filled with everyday ways of helping your life to orbit more closely around him. So it's been out for a few months, and um, it really best expresses what this life is like, um, not just in a ministry setting, but in everyday ways. What do you think so many people today, because I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling that you had, um, that sort of emptiness. What do you think so many people today get wrong about Jesus and about the gospel? Uh, I, I tell people a story that really resonates with me, and I just kind of hope it resonates with them. But just imagine that uh, um, one of your buddies uh, came up to you and said, you know that thing that you've seen on the news where there's this like a mystery cooking class going on downtown today, and there's some kind of major celebrity that's going to teach this, and, and only 12 tickets are available? Well, I've got two of them, and I have an extra one. You want to go with me? So you you say, of course I do. And you, you go downtown, you go into this kind of warehouse-looking place, and you enter in, and you see this kind of state-of-the-art kitchen in there. And there's uh, bright lights and 10 other people standing in there kind of awkwardly shuffling around waiting for the person to come in. And all of a sudden, in walks Oprah Winfrey. And you're like, oh, my gosh, Oprah Winfrey is going to teach the cooking class? So it's true. She's, she shares her recipes. She teaches you how to cook. And at the end of that 90-minute time, she looks at you, walks over to you, and says, you know what? Um, I have really enjoyed my interactions with you today. In fact, there's something about you that I'm really drawn to. I'm wondering if you'd like to have coffee sometime. And you respond by saying, oh, that's nice, Oprah. I like you too. But I'd really rather have more of your recipes. Could I get some more of those? So in a way, that scenario is, I think, what has happened in the church. We've become so fascinated with the recipes of Jesus that we've forgotten that his presence and his person overshadow his recipes. We've become so fixated with principles and strategies and ways of um, making our life work better that we've forgotten to slow down and pay better attention to him. So in my research and in my extensive uh, engagement with people all over the country, um, what I can say is that most people um, have an image or an idea of Jesus that does not match, really, at all, 
the Jesus that we find when we slow down and pay attention <coughs> to the Bible. That's really interesting. And so the best way, what would you say the best way then to dive into that connectedness and to rebuild it, you know, with Jesus? What, what is the best way for people who are like, you know what, I'm in that camp, what do I need to do? Yeah, the, the last kind of almost, uh, I don't know, two-thirds of my book are um, a bunch of, of practices I call the beeline practices, and they're named after um, something that C.H. Spurgeon said. He said uh, he, he was called the Prince of Preachers. He's still the most uh, published pastor in history. He, he had a huge influence on the Victorian world. Uh, and he, his secret sauce was he said that no matter what I preach about, no matter what the topic is, I always make a beeline to Jesus, period. And it's an amazing thing to go. You just randomly pick up any sermon that Spurgeon ever preached and you'll discover what he said is true. It's always about Jesus, one way or another. So um, I was fascinated with Spurgeon's mentality about this, and I felt like he was a kindred spirit. I really understood why he was so captured by Jesus. And he, he used to say, all roads, uh, all roads lead to Jesus, so just find the road. So um, the last two-thirds of my book are called The Beeline Practices, and it's essentially, uh, these are, it's not a step-by-step -step linear process. They're just a menu of, of opportunities to uh, change the orbit of your life so that you have a much closer orbit around Jesus in your everyday life. So there's a number of different ways to do this. One of my favorite I call wallowing in mud puddles. So uh, there are stories about Jesus that we come up to and we act like they're mud puddles. We come up to him and we think, uh-oh, look at that. I better jump over that. But a child comes up to a mud puddle, and instead of jumping over, they jump in. And they wallow around, they splash around in there. Well, there are mud puddle stories about Jesus all over the place that we don't get. We don't really, we think <coughs> we get because we say things like, oh, there's Jesus being Jesus. Um, and then we just jump over it, never actually trying to understand what happened there. And I think my favorite mud puddle story is about his encounter with the Canaanite woman who uh, tracks him down when he's traveling between uh, towns and just keeps screaming and pleading with him to, to uh, set her daughter free from uh, demonic possession. And he just ignores her, and finally his disciples say, Jesus, would you tell her to shut up? <laughs> and he, he turns and looks at her and says, what do you want? And she says, I want you to heal my daughter. And he says... Uh, well, I've come for the children of Israel, not for dogs like you. And there's this, like, pregnant pause. And she says, well, even the dogs get the crumbs off the master's table. And Jesus goes, oh, my gosh, woman, that is amazing. Your daughter's healed. So we hear this story, and we think, oh, there's Jesus being Jesus. But what is going on here? Why would Jesus call a marginalized, discriminated-against woman a dog? Why would he use the very word, that people who discriminate against her use against her as well. Why would he do that? And if you start from a vantage point of Jesus is the very definition of love, then and work backwards, you reverse engineer and say, okay, if he's the very definition of love, how is he loving this woman in this situation? So that's a mud puddle story. And when you slow down and pay attention to those stories and say, I'm not leaving the puddle, until I have some clarity about the heart of Jesus here, then you come to understand at a much deeper level 
his heart. And when you understand the depth of his heart, you can say, like Peter said, when Jesus asked his disciples if they were going to leave, because everyone else had, and Peter said, where else would I go? Only you have words of life and truth. When you understand the heart of Jesus, you understand why Peter reacted that way. He's basically saying, I don't get everything you say, but I love your heart, and I'm done. I'm ruined for you. Wow. Well, that, that is, that is great. And I think, I think that's just a helpful sentiment for so many people who struggle, you know, with these things. And I think so many Christians going through life, just feeling sluggish, not sure why, not sure why they're not getting it, you know, and I think that's really helpful. Well, let me ask you about churches. Cause I think a lot of, there's a lot of chaos in a lot of churches, unfortunately, and human beings can be chaotic and bring and bring chaos themselves. So it's not too surprising that churches have some of those issues, particularly church leadership. What do you think might be going wrong at that level in the church today? Yeah, uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I saw Eugene Peterson tweet something that just stopped me in my tracks. So it, it, what he tweeted, um, I'm looking at it right now, he said, the vocation of pastors has been replaced by the strategies of religious entrepreneurs with business plans. I thought, whoa. Now, he's one of the most respected pastors in the world. Um, you know, a paraphraser of the message and writer of great books like A Long Obedience in the Same Direction and kind of a, kind of a pastor to pastors. So this statement just stopped me in my tracks. And then I thought, I wonder where he has written about this. And I discovered that in his book, Working the Angles, he said... Uh, this, the pastors of America have metamorphed into a company of shopkeepers, and the shops they keep are churches. Man, alive. <laughs> so uh, I was trying to get at the heart of what, what, he is, what he's trying to say and thinking through the filter of this uh, 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 kind of organic fascination with Jesus that leads to a Jesus-centered life. And... Um, I, at the end of this little stretch in the intro to his book, where he's talking about shopkeepers and churches or shops now, he ends with this, and I think this is really gets to the crux of it. He says, the pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God, and it is this responsibility that's being abandoned in spades. The pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. I couldn't be more kindred with that. In fact, the, the, my book, The Jesus-Centered Life, is an attempt to create some uh, uh, momentum in a flywheel of your life that keeps you attentive to Jesus um, all the time. And what, what Peterson is saying is that this is the real responsibility of church leadership on, on, a, on a macro level, is to keep the community's attention fixed on the beauty of Jesus, on the, on the, uh, on the, on the beauty of God. And his critique is that church leadership has shifted its attention to the skills and techniques of business leaders and have adopted a lot of that mentality in the way that they lead because they've recognized that church leaders often haven't been very good leaders. So let's learn how to be better leaders. And it's almost like the pendulum has, over, has, has, has swung away to the other side where now church leadership, according to Peterson here, and I agree with him, has, has overcompensated and does not see their primary responsibility as keeping the community's attention on, on God. And in a way, I mean, people, I think, today, in some respects, forget that Jesus was never the CEO of a business. <laughs> 
And in fact, um, he he did a lot of. He, he's probably you know most people even people that don't believe in him must admit that he's perhaps the greatest leader of all time because he's had more of an impact on worldwide culture than any other single person. Um, but by today's standards, by today's template for leaders, he'd be an utter failure. I mean, he didn't com- communicate a vision that people could understand. He forced them to wrestle and constantly ask him what he meant. He, um, he invited them to get to know his heart instead of follow his recipes or formulas. He told stories that were hard to understand, and then he didn't explain them. He purposefully offended people, especially people in positions of authority. He drove people away right at the point when he was attracting massive numbers of people. Every time it looks like he's building towards something, he pulls the rug out from underneath that momentum. I mean, in every way, he'd be given an F according to the CEO standards in today's church. And yet his approach to all this was transformative in people's lives. And his approach to all this caused uh, his closest friends to say, not only will I follow you, I'll die for you. So what he did was capture their hearts. And in the end, what a pastor's primary responsibility to do is, is to uh, help the people of the church become so attentive to Jesus that they become captured by his heart and they're ruined for him forever. That's what starts a transformational movement. I love this. We we have to have you back on again soon to talk through this. I think especially with so much going on um, in, in the church, when we have news stories that I think kind of fit this bill, we'd love to have you back if you're willing on the show anytime. Thanks, Billy. I really appreciate it. And, you know, if people want to know more about all of this, they, we got a lot more on uh, a website that Jesus the jesuscenteredlife.com it's jesuscenteredlife.com there's a bunch of stuff there that they can explore further including uh, um, some devotional stuff that that, uh, they can get to help them live this journey we'll make sure we link out to that as well great thanks a lot really appreciate it thank you so much Billy founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com.